You are listening to the American Truth Project podcast. So let's start first with the race for the White House. Um, put your gavel down. Um, I had an exclusive interview with Frank Luntz uh, at his home in Beverly Hills last month. For those of you that don't know, Frank Luntz is probably America's premier pollster. Uh, he's on Fox during every election night and explaining why people do what they do. He's a brilliant guy. He's a statistician and a mathematician. And he talks a lot about in his books the thought process of why people like this person or that person. And it's really important to understand uh, his analysis and what I found most interesting is we had a very long talk of over an hour in his library that we filmed uh, we put it up on the web it's about 20 minutes edited and um, ironically by the end of the conversation Frank was trying to convince me that there was no chance for Donald Trump to win by the convention and obviously he turned out to be tremendously wrong um, and I'll talk about why he was wrong uh, in a second. But he talked about what would happen in a, in a brokered convention or a contested convention. So I won't get into that too heavily since it's not going to happen uh, in either the Republican side or the Democratic side. But it reminded me of how much power these delegates have that takes the power away from the voters. It's, it's gross in the Democratic Party. It's a little bit less gross in the Republican Party. But what you have to understand is that what the voters do doesn't necessarily have anything to do with who becomes the nominee in either party. Um, I find that offensive personally because it disempowers the voters and tends to make voters think I'm disenfranchised. What I think doesn't matter. What I vote doesn't matter. And to a certain degree, that's the truth. It's really abundantly clear in the Democratic Party um, because of what they call superdelegates. And superdelegates are a way to reward the status quo. So within the Democratic Party, in every community across America, if you're a longtime volunteer, you're a Central Committee member, you're a local Democratic Party official, chances are you're going to be a superdelegate and you get to do whatever you want. So in the Democratic Party, the superdelegates are 95% pledged already to Hillary because she's the establishment candidate. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not endorsing Bernie Sanders, God forbid. But I find it offensive if I was a Democrat that the election was already decided months ago by the superdelegates. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the primaries. Bernie is annihilating Hillary in election after election after election, and it's all for naught. There's no chance he'll be the nominee. I'm thrilled he's not the nominee, but it's not fair in terms of Democratic analysis. So now we have a presumptive nominee in the GOP. We will have him as the nominee uh, probably uh, at the next election. He's very close. He's within 100. And Hillary uh, by the next election as well. So let's talk about how did he pull it off. When I say he, I mean Trump. He broke every single rule in political history. He did every single thing wrong. Every pundit said he can't win, and everybody's been wrong. 
funny how people go, well, I liked them a long time ago, and I was there in the beginning, and most of them are liars. It's like all the people that were at Woodstock, you know. There's 74 million people were at Woodstock by based on, on, on their memories of 25 or 30 years ago. Um, I remember being on KUSI a number of times, and I was asked, is there any chance Trump could win next year? And I said, absolutely not. He offends everybody. He's, he's against women. He's against immigrants. He's against other people uh, in politics. He calls them terrible names. And this is before he did the little Marco thing and uh, all the other terrible innuendo that got on national television and embarrassed himself. And yet, out of 17, he's the only one left standing. Isn't that astounding? And let's look at really how amazing it is. Jeb Bush spent $59 million and got crushed and was gone months ago. Marco Rubio spent $111 million and was out months ago. Cruz spent $112 million and surrendered last month. Trump almost spent nothing and raised virtually nothing and did it on free media by creating the news even on channels and on networks that don't like or want to promote his agenda or any republicans agenda he led the news because he knows how to run media and he knows how to make himself the news he didn't hire a pollster that's never been done now, what do I mean by that? You see all the polls on television, the public polls. That's the stuff you know about. Are you aware that every major political candidacy polls everything? They poll every issue. They poll every agenda. They want to know what women think about this. Da, 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 da. Clinton became very famous for this. Obama was very good at this, where you analyze how the public is going to respond to every single issue and how best to spin that issue to garner support. The Trump campaign didn't have a pollster. You know who did the polling? According to Trump, he did by his gut as to understand how people will react. And apparently he's got a sixth sense that's extraordinary. Because every other candidate in the Republican Party polled everything and they're all wrong. And they all lost. They're all gone, right. There's one left. The one guy that wasn't a Republican for very long. Um, he's 100% off the cuff. He has almost no filter between his brain and his mouth, which means good, bad, and ugly, he pukes it out. And yet, nobody cares that much. I mean, I don't know if there's a group at some point that hasn't been offended. Think about this. I had um, Navy SEAL Commander Ed Heiner on the show with me uh, last week. Um, he was a commander of the SEALs, and then he became the head of training for West Coast SEALs. He's got a book out now, really good guy. He's a friend of mine now. We've been to dinner, and I really know him well. And I asked him, who do you think the, the military will support? And he said, overwhelmingly Trump. Now think about this. The biggest hero who was ever elected to the Senate is John McCain, 
who Trump insulted as not a hero because he was captured and heroes don't get captured. Do you remember that? It is such an offensive thing to say to a genuine American hero, and yet the military is still there with him. I, I, who would understand that you can say things like that and that group that you offended still supports you? He's, he's got something that nobody understands. There's gonna be, they're going to be writing books about this campaign, win or lose, for a generation. He says things that everybody thinks, or at least a lot of people think, but would never say, like a couple weeks ago, I think it was in Chicago, there were loud demonstrations from Bernie Sanders, people from MoveOn.org, and he said, I'd like to punch that guy in the face. Do you remember that comment? How many people are thinking that but would never say it? And there's never been a major candidate on television, on national news, that said that. But a lot of people are thinking, yeah, me too. I would have loved to. That's what I mean by that lack of um, filter. He rejected all super PACs that approached him. Now you know what super PACs are, right? It, I find it offensive that people that control gazillions of dollars can so influence policy. He's the only candidate that wouldn't allow a super PAC during the campaign thus far. Turned them all down, said, I don't want anything to do with any of you, and took no major money from anybody, and turned down, according to what I hear from inside the campaign, hundreds of millions of dollars has been offered, and he turned it all down. I'm talking about the primaries, because he didn't want to be tainted with any special interest. There's nobody that Hillary Clinton has turned down that writes a big check. Nobody. I mean, there's no way in the world she could possibly give everybody what everyone's going to be asking for in exchange for the hundreds of millions of dollars it's pouring into her campaign. He's been really thin on policy positions, with the exception of his foreign policy speech that my friend wrote and the APAC speech on Israel that he gave at the APAC convention. He has had no policy speeches. Isn't that curious? Very few people have a sense of what he stands for with the specifics on policy. Even his, what are we going to do on the Mexican border? Build a wall. Who's going to pay for it? Mexico. Everybody knows the talking points, right? But you don't really know what his immigration policy is. You know he doesn't want Muslim terrorists in the country because he talked about a ban, which now has become a suggestion, which maybe isn't that at all anymore. But there aren't really the policy papers. If you go on his website, it's not like all the other websites. I remember I had lunch with Rubio, God, six months ago longer now and he had a policy on everything it was so well thought out it was so well written and guess what nobody cared literally george bush had policy papers uh, sorry jeb bush on everything and couldn't get a vote there's something different about this guy he has acted so phenomenally non-presidential and according to polls this morning he's leading in three battleground states go figure so let's talk about what I think is going on. There are incredible similarities between Trump and Sanders. The most profound one is they're both way outside the mainstream. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, Sanders is a professional politician. He's never had a job. 
all he's done is organizer and mayor and senator and so forth. But he's not part of the democratic machine. He's not even a Democrat. He is a socialist leaning towards communist that votes with the Democratic caucus because they're the closest to him. And there's nobody else like him in the Congress of the United States. He's way outside the system. Same as Trump. The people that are coming out for both of them are for the most part outside the system. Now, you could probably all ask yourself this question, who was I for a year ago? I'll bet there's not more than one or two in this room that were for Trump. You all had somebody, right? Somebody whose policy you knew, who stood for something, who had a background within the system that you understood, and Trump you knew had a TV show, right? And that's all you knew. And he was on TV a lot, and he was kind of an egomaniac. That's really all you knew. But people are signing up to vote in the Republican primaries at a level that is, get this, never happened in the history of America. Already today, more people have voted in GOP primaries than in all the primaries in the history of the country, and we have a whole handful more, including the biggest one in California and New Jersey coming. He is going to break every single record for more people coming into the primary season on the GOP and it will probably never be broken. And these are people that are voting for a guy that they don't understand his policies, but they're pissed. They're angry. I think it, you said it. It doesn't matter who's been in Congress. The GOP has controlled the House and the Senate for a long time, for hundreds and hundreds of votes. And how has the country changed? I mean, I'll have that debate with anybody. Obama is still pushing through his agenda. He's not being stopped. There's not this check and balance system that we were taught in poli-sci that was so important. So you separate the legislature from the executive so an executive can't get away with murder and vice versa. And yet, things aren't changing enough. So there's a lot of angry people. Interesting story, I, I was on a job site and a, a guy came up to me and he said, I watched your show the other day and I want to tell you something. I said, what's that? He goes, I'm going to vote. And I said, okay, you want a cookie? And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. I've never voted in my life. And I said, well, how old are you? He said, I'm 35. And I said, well, honestly, between you and I, that's, you should be embarrassed. That's nothing to brag about. Your job is to vote. You have no right to complain if you don't participate. So I gave him my lecture about the responsibilities of being an American citizen, and he sort of rolled his eyes. He goes, I want to tell you why I'm going to vote. I said, okay, tell me why you're going to vote, Corey. And he said, because I'm so angry that now I feel like somebody's going to do something different. And that's a lot of people feel that way. And if that gets harnessed enough in November, Trump will crush the election. And I'll show you why in a minute. Well, one more thing. Um, the Sanders voters, for the most part, are wanting something different than the Trump voters, but they're coming from a, the same place of being outside the system. 
Most of the Sanders people are, how much can I get for free that I never have to pay for, I never have to pay back, and someone else is going to pay for it for me? My education, my housing, my student loans that I've already obligated myself to. You know, it's like Margaret Thatcher used to say, socialism works great until you run out of other people's money. And when everybody that I've ever met that's a Sanders supporter, I always ask them, have you seen the analysis of what his programs will cost? No. Well, do you understand that the national debt, which is already about to cripple and destroy the dollar, could be double or triple what it is now? And it would never be repaid in thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Okay, so they have no concept of somebody else paying for all the stuff that they want. And I said, well, how do you feel about a 95% tax rate? Well, so what? The rich have so much money. This politics of envy of somebody else's stuff should be my stuff, let's equal the playing field, is so easy to get excited about. Thank God he'll never win, because this would be a country that you would not like very much. If you want an example of what socialism looks like, go on the internet and Google Venezuela, where they don't have money for toilet paper in hospitals. Right now, where they ration gasoline, where the power gets turned off every single day because there's just not enough to go around. And they've had two generations of very aggressive socialism there, and that's what Bernie Sanders wants. Remember, this is a guy that went on his honeymoon to the Soviet Union and wrote about how the Castro brothers did such a terrific job turning around Cuba. And he wants to be president of the United States. So a little bit of predictions, just for fun. Here's how I think Trump wins. And then I'm going to tell you why Hillary can't win if everything happens the way it should. I think that the Trump campaign, and I talk to some people within the campaign fairly regularly, um, needs to flesh out his policies needs to present a platform that's understandable uh, to regular people easily. He needs to come back to um, middle Republican ground and be clear about it. And I think what will happen is something unique, and here's one of my predictions that you can take to November. I think there's going to be a significant amount of Bernie Sanders voters that will cross over and vote for Trump in November. Some polls say as many as 20%. Why? They're outside the system. They're not normal voters. They're the Corys of the world. They're angry. They feel betrayed by politics and politicians. And if their guy can't win, he's going to have a hell of a time dragging his voters to Hillary because she's inside the system. There's been very rarely a candidate that's that inside the system that's running for president of the United States, male or female, doesn't matter. She's been in politics her entire life and everybody knows it and she's up to her eyeballs in deal after deal after deal after deal that just ethically is mm, questionable. Okay, so remember this, the, the diehard Republicans will vote for anybody on the ticket. 
because that's what diehard Republicans do. The diehard Democrats will do the same thing. The middle will decide this election. If the middle moves to the right just enough and the far left comes over at 5 to 15 percent, Trump wins. And I think that's a real possibility depending how well the deal is sold and who his vice presidential nominee is. I think he's got to pick somebody from within the system. And the rumor right now is it's Newt Gingrich, so we'll see. I happen to like him a lot, and he's a genius in, in, in politics. Let's talk about the 9-11 report for a minute or two. Um, do you know what this is? Yeah? Um, the report came out uh, after 9-11, obviously, and there were 28 pages completely redacted, which basically said who did 9-11. So they left out the part about who did it, and they, the rest of it, hundreds and hundreds of pages, described it. The 28 pages, from what I understand from two people that have read it, said it points to Saudi Arabia, and it's very clear. They financed it, they were behind it. But people forget that Saudi Arabia is run by a royal family that has very strong Wahhabi leanings. It is the birther of Al-Qaeda. They're the leading sponsor of Sunni terrorism in the world. Don't kid yourself. ISIS is isolated within an area. Al-Qaeda birthed ISIS, by the way. They're almost identical. The difference is that Al-Qaeda is a terror organization and ISIS is trying to establish a state and they believe the same thing. Even though they blow each other up, they're competing for the same territory, so it's more of a territorial fight. The royal family is spending hundreds of millions of dollars in the United States right now educating your kids and your grandchildren about what a bad place this is and how religion ought to have Islam on every campus. And I could go on in my Islamic terrorism speech, but I decided not to do that one today because that, that's an hour by itself. So if and when that report is issued, the Senate has already voted to be able to sanction Saudi Arabia, or at least made it very clear that's what they intend to do, and the President has made it very clear that he will veto that. It's maybe not such a bad thing, and I'll tell you why. We, the United States, need help fighting ISIS. Saudi Arabia says they'll fund it. We want their money. We want their troops, which are trained by our troops. We want their planes, which we gave them and sold them. And we want their men and equipment that we put over there so that we don't have to do the fighting. They'll do the fighting under our leadership. And that's what Trump's plan is. I think it's going to be really, really interesting when and if that report comes out. Let's talk about Hillary's email. Everybody in this room knows the story, I'm sure, but I'll tell you some details that are important. Even the Democrats know she did something wrong. They're just not sure what she did wrong. Let me teach you the one big lie so that we get that out of our system and the next time you see it on television you can get angry because you can say, well, Barry told me that's a lie. So I'll tell you what the lie is. How many of you have heard Hillary say, well, there were a lot of emails on my server, and I understand later they were classified, but they weren't classified when they were on my server, so it's okay. Everybody heard that? Yes. It's the biggest lie in America today. Because it does matter that it wasn't classified. 
it matters, sorry, it doesn't matter that it wasn't classified. What matters is that it was later classified because when you sign your NDA and you go through your training, and I got a lecture on this by an admiral friend of mine who did it, you sign something that says you're subject to civil and criminal penalties including time in prison if you violate this. It's the Secrecy Act. You're not allowed to have any information in your possession in your purse, in your desk, in your closet, in your computer, on your Blackberry that's either classified or classifiable. And if it was classified later and not by you and you transmitted it, you violated the law. Now, General Petraeus, you all know that story? He had a girlfriend while he was married and he gave her a bunch of emails and he was disgraced and dismissed from the head of Central Command. Um, I think that was over seven emails. Seven. They found 2,200 on the server after she wiped the server. 2,200 violations, apparently, of information that had some classification on it at some point. Of those, there are an undetermined amount, probably around 10, that were SAP, Special Access Program, that is classified above top secret, so high that the Inspector General was not allowed to read them, that did the investigation and reported back to the Congress. They're above his, top, above his secret classification. Can you imagine what was in those emails? Every one of those is five to seven years in prison and $10,000 fines. There is an extremely continual leak coming out of the FBI that the FBI is very strongly in favor of a series of indictments against her for criminal conspiracy and dozens and dozens of other laws relating to this email. Not only is she liable civilly but criminally and could spend time in prison. It's that serious. It's that serious. And yet, in the Democratic Party, it's no big deal. Bernie Sanders laid down in front of her in a debate and said, oh, we don't want to hear about this email. Remember that? And got a standing ovation. Believe me, that was set up. So what's going to happen? The FBI is going to need to go to the agency that would issue the indictment, unfortunately that agency is the Attorney General and unfortunately the Attorney General is Loretta Lynch who is a very close friend of the President and a very liberal Democrat and not about to sink the Democratic Party's chance to be President of the United States, especially for a female that she supports. Boy, you talk about corruption. The rumor within the FBI is if the Attorney General does not issue an indictment or request an indictment before a federal grand jury that the federal government will get it leaked by the FBI and they'll go to the press with it, with the evidence. I don't know if that's going to be enough to swing the needle, but it should take that middle group and move them to the right. Remember the group that's going to decide the election. I think it's that big. There's also some other big news coming. Today, a staffer is testifying before Congress. And yesterday, these are staffers for, from Hillary that worked on the emails. And her lead staffer that set it all up 
was granted immunity from prosecution in order to induce him to testify. That's the same guy that took the Fifth Amendment before Congress last year, refusing to testify because he wouldn't incriminate himself. And if that guy said what he should have said, which is told the truth, and the hacker that they've got in jail that they took out of, I think, Eastern Europe that says he hacked into several thousand of her emails and that becomes public, and what those emails said and who else got them, supposedly Russia has over a thousand emails that they've talked about that they took out of her server. I can't believe that's not going to be all over her by November. And I got news for you. What do you think Trump's going to do in every single speech he makes? He's going to hit her over the head with a hammer about the emails. It's not just a scandal. It's a violation of federal law. It's a betrayal of national secrets. It's a betrayal of the country. Especially when it comes out who got into the server. Supposedly China. Supposedly North Korea. Supposedly this hacker in Eastern Europe. And probably the Russians have the emails. They say they're going to release them. And if they do, that's got to taint November. All right, let's talk about Iran for a minute. Um, I was really shocked. When we talked, I had, um, I did a show last week. I, I took over um, Dr. Gina's show. And I had a friend of mine on that was the former director of Central Intelligence. Uh, Jim Woolsey, and we talked about Ben Rhodes. Do you know what, who he is? Spokesman for the State Department uh, in the White House who works directly for President Obama that confessed in an article to the New York um, Times, or the New Yorker, one of the two, a very long profile, that he intentionally misled the press in numerous press conferences over the course of a year to convince the press that the Iran nuclear deal was a good deal. In other words, he lied over and over and over again about the deal to sell the deal. And then he gave exclusive interviews to friendly press to spin the story. The deal is the worst betrayal in American history of American interests in foreign policy, I think, ever. I hope I'm wrong, but we gave $150 billion to the leading sponsor of terrorism that is buying jets from China that are exact copies of our F-16s because they stole the technology from us. They're buying missiles technology from North Korea. They're buying anti-missile technology from Russia. They're manufacturing arms at an unprecedented rate. They're spending billions. And when you think about it, roadside bombs cost about $60 to make. And they're exporting it all over the world to terror groups all over the world who have the express intent to do what? Kill Americans and kill Israelis and kill anybody in the West that doesn't believe in the Islamic Republic of Iran, who eventually wants to be one of the leaders of the world and bring the, the what do they call it, the, um, the entry of the caliphate onto earth, because that's what the Quran says is their mission. When you talk to someone like Jim Woolsey and he tells you about it from a CIA perspective, it's chilling, it's scary, it's terrifying. And we paid for it and we're encouraging it with our money and their money that we had locked up in banks. 
I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that Trump says, and I talked to Waleed about this on the air two weeks ago, Waleed Ferris, who's his lead foreign policy advisor, on the air Waleed told me that Trump will renegotiate or tear the deal up. Thank God. Every Republican has said that with the exception of Kasich. And that was the only reason why I really didn't want him to be President of the United States, because he was going to keep the Iran nuclear deal. Hillary's already said she will keep it in place, she will support it, and she will do everything she can to ensure its compliance. Just for fun, anybody in this room knows who signed that deal on behalf of Iran after we signed it? You can't talk, you've heard me. Yes, sir. What? Right. The guy running for assembly knows. Iran never signed it. It's never been signed. It was rejected by the Iranian parliament, and it was rejected by the supreme leader. There's no signatory on the other side of that deal. You hear what I said? We signed it. We gave them $150 billion, and they said, great, thanks. We're not signing because we reject the deal. So they're under no legal, contractual, ethical compulsion to do anything. And according to the people that know, like CIA, they've breached almost every single covenant. Everything you read in the paper about them complying is a lie. They have done almost nothing they were supposed to do under the deal. And they're buying arms and they're being belligerent to the point of capturing our sailors in the Persian Gulf, subjugating them to the point of humiliation, covering the woman sailor in a hijab, causing the other sailors to be on their knees, apologizing, and then they gave them back. And what did John Kerry do? Thanked Iran for the humiliation and capture of our sailors on the high seas. Think about that. The Secretary of State of the United States thanked them for the crimes they committed on the high seas. This is unprecedented in foreign policy. That's how bad we are. I'll tell you one thing that's just kind of an interesting thought. I, I had dinner um, a few months ago with a friend of mine who's uh, a leading Democratic congressman. And I like him very, very, very much for his stance on Israel. And I asked him, why did John Kerry push so hard on this deal? And he said, well, I'll tell you what we think in the Democratic caucus in the Congress. We think he's running for, get this, Nobel Peace Prize. And that's his agenda. And he'll do anything to get it. Because he didn't make it to the White House, this is going to be his legacy. The worst foreign policy deal in American history. And this certain person that I'm referring to voted against it. And it was the first Democrat in the House to stand against the president and took tremendous flack from within the party for doing it. Had a private meeting with Hillary Clinton about it and begged her to keep an open mind and not support the deal should she be the nominee. And she told him no. So there's a very clear choice, at least that policy that the American people are going to hear about once the conventions are over, after Cleveland and Philadelphia. So I've gone a little bit over what I thought I would. Um, the sign-ups that you guys have for American Truth Project, I hope you left your email and you'll get our videos and we'll keep in touch with you. Thanks for listening to the American Truth Project, a 501c3 nonprofit. Please subscribe to our podcast. 
and follow us on our social media channels to stay plugged in to the truth. Go to americantruthproject.org and subscribe to our newsletter to stay informed on the latest news.